All right. I'm going to kind of do a quick review. I don't have a lot of time. I'll do a quick review of the last couple teachings we have because they have a common thread between the teachings. This is the temple. And in the temple, there was the uh, Gentile, court of the Gentiles, and there was a court of the priests, and there was the holy place, holy place, and then this, in the very inner part of the holy place was the holy of holies. And the scriptures teach us that the Old Testament were a shadow of what was to come. And this is a, a shadow of the temple that was to come. Give us the next slide. Next slide is us. The promise of the new covenant was that God would live within us, that we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what I thought about here was this particular uh, diagram here, and basically dealt with three different areas too. Uh, the center part I want to call your attention to is the spirit man, and it would have been like the holy. And in the center of that, where God's glory is, would have been the holy of holies. And when I talked about it, I told you that what happens is that God's presence has to fill your spirit man. But very often, the first love door is closed. How's that first love door originally open? Jesus dying on the cross. When he died on the cross, that curtain in the temple, the Old Testament temple, was ripped in half, and there was a new way into the Holy of Holies. In our case, because of that first love, that gate or door or curtain has been opened. And the glory of God, because when you ask God to come into you, he did what you asked. He came and dwelt in you. And when he came and dwelled with you, you didn't have to ask for more of God. You'll have all the God you ever need. The scripture says the fullness of God dwells within you. But yeah, we do ask for that. And I guess it's fine. I guess it's good. But the fullness is it's not really more of God in us. It's more of God to come out of us. And we talked about these different gates. I gave you guys a little bookmarker, and I, I don't know how many of you guys used it, but it had all these different gates on it. And we said this principle, that when a gate becomes defiled and closed, it closes off to God and opens up to hell. And when it's cleansed, it closes off to hell and opens up to heaven. In a sense, it's the same where these gates were. These faith and hope and worship and uh, revelation and reverence and prayer and fear of God. Or all gates. And what happens is if, if you had that first love gate open and he fills your spirit, man, then the next thing that happens is it goes into your soul. The soul is kind of, we said before, is kind of the actuator. It makes you do what you do. If it's filled with the presence of God, you're going to do godly things. And if it's filled with the outside influence of the world, it's going to have you do rotten things. So the key is getting those gates open so your soul which is where you make your decisions in life, what you do, what you look at, what you say, where you run with, who you do things with, where you want to be, how you spend your time, will be filled with the presence of God. And if it's filled in the presence of God, what comes out your mouth and your actions are going to be the things of God. If it's not, what's going to come out your mouth and your actions will be filled with darkness. Very simple principle. Very simple principle. So we look at that and we see... The central, what's the central issue in this? Yeah, you would know. Anybody else get that centrality of Christ? I talk about that all the time. That's, the very first thing I ever taught you was about the garden. In the garden, in the center of the garden was a tree of life, a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when man ate from the wrong tree, he was kicked out of the garden. But we were supposed to eat from the tree of life. 
And that was, tree of life was symbolic of Jesus. And that meant being centered. The center of your life, center of control of your life is Jesus. Everything you'll hear pretty much out of me is on that one theme, centrality of Christ. Because that's really what it's all about. Because until we understand the centrality of Christ, until God is center of our life, we really don't do anything. We really can't go anywhere. We really cannot become who we're called to be. Because if someone else occupies that space, or something else occupies that space, we're not going to be about God's things. Now, the next thing I went to, I'm going to come back to this, go to the next slide, was the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, you know, everybody's read that. We've all said it. And we broke it down differently. We translated it differently. And what we said is, God's holy. And it says, sit on my throne here. Sit on the throne. Come and be the center of my life. That's a, the second thing. When Jesus was teaching, he said, on earth that is it is in heaven. What's on earth? What's in heaven? He's on the throne. What's on here? He's on the throne. If he's on the throne, if he's the center of our life, then as we follow him, your desires and directions will be done. Bless the labor, our labor, as we do things, because he's not just going to do everything for us. Do things with provision. Forgive in the same way we forgive others. Direct us away from testing and evil. Now, if God dwells in there, do you think he does not want to do that? Now, I always used to think, uh, there's one translation that says, uh, keep me from hard testing. And I always used to say it, but I actually looked at it. It doesn't say hard testing in the Greek at all. It just says testing, you know. So direct me away from the testing. I guess that's a good prayer. I don't like testing, though. But you're going to get it. But direct away from it. Make it uh, keep us away from evil. Don't let us get trapped up. But we must forgive to be forgiven is the bottom line of that prayer. But all those things based on one thing, God being in the center of our life. That's what God wants to be. That's the only place to be. Now, I mentioned to you before, too, I gave the example of a common cold. Remember the example of the common cold? People try to treat the cold, the runny nose, the, all the other things. But really, those are just symptoms of a, of, of a condition, of a virus. Sin, lying, stealing, all the other junk things that we think about that are sin, are just symptoms of a condition. The condition is God's not center in our life. If God is center in our life, we're going to sin less. doesn't stop overnight, but we're going to sin less. If you're about God, what are you going to do? Go out and steal things? I don't think so. If you're about God and your heart is on God, are you going to lie? If your heart is about God, you're going to be looking at pornography. If your heart is really about God, are you going to be sleeping with a girlfriend, boyfriend? No. Because who's running your life and directing your life is God. So the, the symptom of that sin doesn't come out. A lot of people spend a lot of time on sin. A lot of time on the different parts of sin. I want you to forget about those. That's what the whole New Testament's about. Forget about those. They're covered under the blood. Why does he want you to forget about a very, very simple principle? Because you empower what you focus on. If your focus is upon the sins, you're going to sin. If your focus is upon God, you're not going to sin. Real simple. But you know what? We don't seem to get that. We seem to fight real hard against the sin. And the harder we fight, it's like a boomerang, or not boomerang, but a rubber band you keep on running with. It's to smack you back. You're going to be pulled back into the thing you are because of the focus you're in. 
So I wanted to hit this thing real hard today, just as kind of, we don't have a lot of time, so I just hit this thing real hard, how we deal with this sin and how we work with sin and how we get focused on God so you can understand the rest of the scriptures. Because without understanding this principle, you can't understand the scriptures. None of it makes sense. It's all just a bits and pieces. But if you can understand the principle of God dwelling in you, that he loved you that much that he wanted to come dwell in you, that he wanted you to be the temple, and he wanted your heart to be the throne that he sits on, that's a lot of love. That's the first love. If you can get that, everything else won't be the same. How you live your life won't be the same. What you do won't be the same. Who you do it for won't be the same. It won't be about me. Lord's Prayer. So sin is. What is sin then? So tell me what sin is, guys. Come on. What did I just say? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I just said it. Spent all the time. You guys don't get it. Wake up! That's what it is. When you're on the throne. When you eat from that tree of life, it's fine. When you eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that means what? I'm going to make up my mind to do what I want in my timing. That's what that is. They didn't know Adam and Eve didn't mess up with some go steal or murder. That came later when it got Cain and Abel. It came with a very simple thing. Knowledge. Good thing. Out of God's timing. I want to do it on my own. I want what I want when I want it. That's sin. The action is just a symptom of it. So, you want it your own way. You lust for what you don't have. You ask for what you have no right to. Let's look at James 4, verse 1 through 12. Now, I picked, uh, that's the next slide. I picked the message. I picked the message. One, it says it very well. But two, it says it in a way you're not used to reading it. And when you read something, if you've been reading it for a lot of years like I have, and you read it in a different way, it really makes a little bit more sense. So, uh, let's see here. Have my, why don't you read that version of it? Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They, came, they come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. Next slide. Keep on reading. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover, and what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Don't badmouth each other, friends. 
It's God's word, his message, his royal rule. That takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? Isn't that a wild version? It also says it really plainly. It's one of the scriptures we don't like to read. As a matter of fact, I think truthfully, when they translate, most of the guys translate, they translate away that didn't hit you so hard. That hits me hard. That really does. You know what? But there's total grace in the kingdom. Then you don't have to look at it as a being hit with something. You have to look at it as to see as an encouragement where he wants us to go. There's some points in here that, that, that really stick out to me. We want our own way, and we lust for what we don't have. We ask for things we have no right for. Why do we have no rights for them? Dead men don't have rights. Thank you. You know, my wife is the best listener. (laughs) Dead men have no rights. They don't. We have none. You know, we're scared to death of that thought. We're scared to death of giving up the things that we think that we have a right to and we want. But there's power in it because we have a good God. There's power in it. You don't have to worry about it because he's a good God, a generous God. You're cheating on God. Wow. What is that? What a lying. Why? You want it your own way. Flirting with the world. Ending up enemies of God. God cares about that. What do you flirt about? I got a new, very, very new entertainment center. New TV this week. You know, I really did. I, I really actually think God blessed me with it, but I felt guilty all the way through it. <laughs> I find God is a generous God. I really do. But the world has kind of changed the way they think about things. Now, a friend of mine was telling me about somebody that came into his office. This lady from a church in NRLA. And she was praying, and she was believing. Now, this is, mind you, a person that doesn't work. That God's going to give her a Mercedes Benz. Now, I remember the song. Do you remember that? Oh, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all got Porsches and must make amends. A real mockery song. But you know what? That was being preached in a church. That is your right, that you call out for, that it's yours, that you can have this. Does God give people Mercedes Benz? You bet he does. Is he generous? You bet he is. I mean, beyond belief. But is it a right? No. Is it something that, 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 that we're to be focused on? No. It can't be. The scriptures are true. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll give you all the other things as well. He really will. He will. That's his heart. But if your focus is on give me a Mercedes Benz, you missed because you're on the throne. It's what you want is what's being focused on, not what he wants. He might want to give you a Mercedes Benz. He really does. I have great cars. I've had one. You know, he might want to give you one. You know, he may not. You know what? He's God. You're not. It's his choice, not yours. That's hard to give up in this generation. But you see, and and this time when they wrote it, he says, you wouldn't dare ask for stuff that way out there. It wouldn't have been. But now, 
In these last days, people will. They'll ask for things and act as if they are owed those by God, and they will demand it, and they will put God in the place of being a cosmic bellboy. He's not your cosmic bellboy. He is not. He's God of the universe. If anybody's the bellboy, you are. Not him. It's not his job to give you your heart's desire. It's your job to do his heart's desire. That's what it's about, a king and a servant. We are servants of the living God. That's the highest call you could ever have. And then he starts off that. He calls his friend. He calls his brother, sister. Then he calls his, his lover. But in this scripture, it says, you know, you've, you've flirted off with other things. You know, he's a jealous God. Doesn't, don't you get it? He's a jealous God. He doesn't like that. It says he's fiercely, fiercely a jealous lover. And he wants to work his will in you. That's who he is. And tells us not to break his royal rule. Don't treat what he says. This is, if you read that scripture, it is a totally, entirely, completely different focus than most of our lives are lived. Mine too. I aspire to this, and I work towards this. And I do it better today than I did last week, or the month before, or the year before. And that's all that matters. I live in no condemnation about it. I really don't. And you shouldn't either. But don't act as if the scriptures are not true and ignore them because you can't achieve them. That's the thing. Oh, that isn't really true. It's my head in the ground. No, that is really true. He says that. He meant exactly what he said. It's not, it's not a, well, no. It's, he really meant what he said. And just because you can't pull it off, you can't ever pull it off on your own. So with God in you. And because God's not in a hurry, but is willing to take the time to get you there, be comfortable with it. And say, oh, okay, I measured this up. Oops, I missed on that. It's a measuring thing that you can measure how your personal growth is. The symptom is a measuring thing now. It's no longer, because there's no longer any sting to death. There's no longer the consequences of it. Because the blood of the cross is prayed for all those things. We're not under the curse anymore. We're not under the law anymore. We have freedom. That freedom causes us to live a life towards him. The whole purpose, that's why it says that, that scripture says that, has freedom to live that. Why? Because we're free from the sin, we're free from being focused on the sin, and we're free to be focused on him. And when we focus on him, and the more we get in love with him, the more and more we're moving towards that. The more and more we become who he's called us to be. You know what? As we look in the mirror, we're going to look more and more like him. That's a cool thing. And I can tell you for whole, 100% wholeheartedly before God, when I first few years in God, I didn't really want to look like him. I didn't want to be like Jesus. I really didn't. I know it was a good thing to have God in your life and all that. I didn't want to look like him. No home, no marriage, no children, no car, no none of the good things. I really didn't want to be with him, like him. I, I really didn't. You know, I, I was honest. You know, I told him, I don't really like this. And I want you to be honest, too. If you don't really want to be like that, that's fine. Just say to God, look, I, can't, I don't feel like that. It's not about your feelings. But I don't feel like that. Help me get there. And that's how we deal with it. That's how we deal with it. Help me get there. Not, i got to do this, i got to do that. Help me get there. You see, dealing with sin is based not on the old way of doing things, of fighting against it. It's based on the love relationship with God to help you achieve it. To become changed, you have to be in love with him. The first love door has to be open, and he has to fill your spirit person. 
And all the things of prayer and faith and all those gates that were listed there have to be opened that your spirit man is filled with them. And then you'll begin to carry off those things. If it's not, if it's what comes from the outside that influences you, then what's going to happen is you're going to be the same old way. You're going to want this thing and that thing. You're going to, as the scripture says here, you're going to toy with the things of the world. You're going to be, you're going to be intoxicated and flirt with it and desire those things. Since you cannot serve two masters, you'll love one and hate the other. He means that. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve, and it's not the money, it's unrighteous mammon. It's the things of the world that, that you want. But if you go after him, he'll give you those as well. So anything other than Christ in the center of your life is sin. So how do you pray? I used to pray, oh, go down the list of sins, and God will do that with you. He'll remind you and he'll pop different sins in life. But now I get down to forgive me for not having you on the throne. Don't go through the rest of them. Because they don't exist. They're symptoms. I go for the sin. The sin is not having God in the throne of my life. Sin is not allowing him to be Lord of my life. That's the sin. Everything else is just noise. That's the sin. So when I pray, I say, Lord, just like the Lord's prayer, come and dwell on the throne of my heart. That's what he says in that prayer. That's the translation of it. That's one I can give you. Come dwell on the throne. Like in heaven, on earth, in my heart. Come on the throne. That's my prayer. That's what I'm asking for forgiveness for. Because when if he's not there, it's sin all through the life. Everything to you. If he's not there, the center of my life, I can go raise the dead, if I had that anointing on me, heal the sick, preach, do every single thing, and that scripture comes up. Get away from me, I never knew you. Why does that exist? For that very reason. Because the person did not have God centered in their life, did not dwell in there, and he did not know him. So it doesn't matter the symptoms of what you do. It's dealing with matters of the heart. If your heart is in with the Lord, then you're going to be about him. And you're going to grant favor, whether it's a little ministry you do in life, or raising the dead and having churches all over the world. doesn't matter. If he's on the throne of your life and you're doing what God called you to do, little or great, it's enough. It's well done, good and painful servant. Don't you remember the, the parable when they, when they, when there are different workers and stuff came in? They said, you know, different one. Well done, well done. Same pay for the different, uh, 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 workers. And in heaven, the different things, well done, good and painful servant. Some did great things, some did little. But it wasn't how much they did that they obeyed the God that dwelled in them. Your job may be putting chairs up in here or some other church. Your job may be preaching a million. If you do it well, it's the same reward because it's well done. Because God dwelled in you and you did what God said. The outward manifestation is just a manifestation. That's all it is. The problem is we have a conflicting problem. We want things and we can't figure out how to get them. You know what that does? You know when it talks about idolatry all the time? You know what idolatry is? Who can give me a good definition of idolatry? Hmm? What? Something you have one done. Yep, that's a very good one. That's probably the best I can think of right now. I'll give you the scripture for it. Go to Colossians 3.5. 
Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Greed is idolatry. And how get people get up is what happens is they want something. They can't get it. They can't get God to give it to them. And so they turn to someone else to. Maybe be our hard efforts or anything else. You turn to someone else because you can't get what you want when you want it. What's that sound like? Five-year-old, four-year-old, three-year-old. That's what we act like. I do too. I wanted that TV set really bad. Hopefully got it in the right way. But if I don't, you know what? Mercy. God is merciful. And that's really cool. So, the conflict that we have in there. So, it's, it's, it basically is wanting something, greed for something that God's not giving you at the time. And rather than have Christ something, uh, let's see what I want to, uh, there's someone ahead. Second. You know, when it talks about, let's go to Matthew uh, 10, 37 through 39. Why don't you go ahead and read that? Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's the main point of that scripture? Huh? Following Christ. And what's the thing with the cross? Does it pick up the cross and follow it? What's the cross? Somewhat, right? What's a cross? What did they do on a cross? Died. Died. Thank you. Died. Wow, that was hard. Not a very fun death either. So, whoever doesn't die to themselves, okay, let's translate this. Whoever doesn't die to himself is not worthy of me. Whoever is loved with more of their wife, kids, and stuff than me, does it mean that you aren't supposed to love your wife and your kids and your father and your mother? Of course it doesn't. Matter of fact, it says honor your father and mother and things will go well with you. That's attention. Those are scriptures that are seemingly in a little bit of a, a different pull. But it deals with the issue of the heart here. It's talking about whoever loves, you know, anything else greater than God. Other words, anything else on your throne? Is anything else on your throne? Is it your wife on your throne? Your kids on your throne? Your mother, your father, all that? That's sin. And you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Hard scripture, isn't it? It's a very hard scripture. All it's saying is a very simple truth that I've said over and over again. And that is, unless God is in the center throne of your life, you're dead. <laughs> you aren't making it. That's what we have to do. That's the fight. The fight is to do this. So when we're praying and trying to get there, we're asking God to do it for us. Can you do that yourself? I don't think so. You know, another, it's very interesting, the word for uh, uh, the flesh. Throw that next scripture up. I mean, the next slide up. Uh, you don't have it there? Uh, it's the, the Strong's definition for flesh is as a stripping of the skin. It was used in when you skin an animal for, like, cooking or whatever. In other words, you're getting skinned alive when you're putting off the old flesh. In other words, he's trying to peel off, take something off of you so the meat of you, the value of it is there. That's just basically what, it, what it's saying there. Um, other things, 
place this thing up. Look at just go to First Peter four one through five the one you had. Read this one out, Rob, and then we'll finish up on this. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. You've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night, a drunken and profligate life. Now it's time to be done with it for good. And of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join in the old gang anymore. But you don't have to be you don't have to give an account to them. They're the ones who will be called on the carpet and before God himself. Wow, I love the way that one breaks it too. Uh, put off the old skin. So you'll be free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Is that not the truth? I'm a kind of a borderline uh, compulsive type of person. That's why I think Jacob was too uh, in the scriptures. There's something with that, a pressing through and not quitting on things. So when it's in the good things of God, it's a good thing because I'll press through like crazy. But when it's for something I want, look out. Tyrannize by what you want. That's what the scriptures calls it here. Being tyrannized, being driven by want something that's other than him. We get rid of that other stuff. We clean up those gates. We allow God to be in the center of it. Then we won't have to go that old lifestyle that we had before. It's done again by praying that he would be on the throne of your life. It's asking God to do it in you. It's not that you don't ask God. It's not that you go fight against the thing. It's asking God to bring about in your life what he wants to bring about in your life. It says, you know, what, what father would give, when some when son asks for bread or fish, give a snake. You will get what you ask for if you're asking for what he wants to bring in your life. If you're asking for what you want, independent from what God wants, guess what? You hopefully won't get it. Does God give it sometime? Yeah, he does. You know, I, I've had kids. I've got three. And I've got a couple grandkids now. And sometimes they want something that's not really good for them. Sometimes I want something that's not really good for me. I give it to them anyway. I'm not being loving, really. I'm, I'm worrying more about their immediate gratification and their immediate pleasure than their long-range good. But you see, God is a good father. He wants the long-range good in you, and he's more concerned about that. He's more worried about if he gives you something that you've got to have right now, that that becomes on the throne of your life rather than him. Because he wants to carry out. He is a jealous God. So when we fight for the things to come into the kingdom and to come to the thing, right, we fight for one thing, that he is Lord here. Because if he's Lord here, all your desires will change. And the things you'll want will be the things he wants. And the things you ask for will be the things you get. And your faith will grow, you will grow, and the kingdom will grow within you. All right, uh, 
Anybody have any words of knowledge? Changing gears. Anybody have any words of knowledge? Okay. Want to get up and give it? And I'll give a word of knowledge. I, I, I got a quick one before. I, a hearing aid. <laughs> you know, and I first thought it was a hearing aid. But I actually think that God wants to give us hearing aid. He wants to help and help our hearing where we tune into him a little bit better. And I want to say this with going along with this since I, well, I know him. Is if you hear him say things, little itty bitty things, and you decide, well, they're too little, and you don't listen to him, you won't hear. You have to take the chances of what God says and do them. Even if you don't think they make sense. You have to do them. You'll have a hearing problem every time you keep on saying no to what he says. So, if you want to, we're going to pray for you in a minute. If you want to come up and we'll pray for your hearing, that you be able to hear him clearly and be able to act this time on it and that he'd be graceful to you. Okay? Uh, when I was coming in this morning, the Lord said, um, I'm giving you the green light. And um, I think that that pertains to a lot of people here. If you have been going through circumstances in your life where you're constantly getting, you know, the red light, God's giving you the green light. And, and whatever that means to you, 